This is Tom Fox. Welcome to a special podcast series entitled Corporate Case Management in the Era of the DOJ's Monica Memo, sponsored by iSight Software Solutions. Over this five-part podcast series, I will be visiting with Jacob Fickner, Director of Partnership Development at iSight. In this series, we consider how the Monaco Doctrine and the Monaco Memo have impacted compliance in several key areas around investigations. In part one, we take up the Speak Up Culture. Part two, strategic triage. In part three, ethical investigations. In part four, the Fair Process Doctrine. And in part five, how data drives prevention. Over this series, we will not only detail the changes brought by the Monaco Memo, but how compliance professionals can respond to these new challenges. First, a word about eyesight. Uncover, investigate, and prevent incidents and misconduct. Eyesight is a powerful case management platform that streamlines your investigative processes so you can focus on prevention. Recording incidents, responding consistently, and collecting data means messy spreadsheets, information over multiple systems, and wasted time. Mishandling even one incident risks fines, lawsuits, and reputational damage. Reach out to eyesight.com for a demonstration to learn how you can streamline your investigations and starting investing in prevention. In this episode, we take up the topics of outcomes and the fair process doctrine. This special five-part series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Jacob Fichtner, the Director of Partnership Development at iSight for another episode. Today, we're going to take up the topic of outcomes. And the name of this may seem self-evident, but it turns out there's a lot to look at in terms of outcomes. We're going to look at some of the forms of outcomes, the different types of outcomes, how you have to prepare for different types of outcomes, and really lead towards some remedial topics. Jacob, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Pleasure to be here. So, Jacob, we now have had a report. The report's been triaged. We've had an investigation. And now we're to the outcome. And here, once again, this may have seen to be self-evident because the Department of Justice for at least 15 years has talked about outcomes in the form of discipline, but now it's even more important. And as recently as September, the DOJ has said, we expect you, Mr. or Ms. company, or them or their company, to discipline those who have engaged in violations. And we expect that discipline to, number one, if you've got somebody engaging in harassment, bribery and corruption, trade control, or other sanctions to be terminated. It can have lesser forms of discipline, but if you've got a bad actor, you need to take action. And really, I wanted to explore outcomes in this podcast and not simply your fired outcomes, but the process for outcomes. So with that, where should a company start with the outcome? Should they be a part of your protocol as well as the other parts we've talked about in terms of reporting triage and investigations? Should there be something 
only as broad or only as narrow as we reserve the right to engage in all forms of discipline up to and including discharge. So the company has maximum flexibility or how do you help through a company start to think through outcomes? One of the first things we engage with is what are your potential outcomes based on the nature of the case itself? What stakeholders need to be involved with determining, recommending and implementing that outcome and being able to structure a process around it that can be incorporated into their investigative flow. So if the investigation concludes with, they, we substantiate the allegations based on the nature of the allegation and these factors, we recommend termination of the employee. There's already a process in place to be able to follow through with the recommendations, loop in the appropriate stakeholders, and something that we see is not often implemented, being able to actually take what happens based on the recommendations of the department. So let's say in the example of a termination, ultimately it's HR that would disp disposition or dispense the termination itself. So that's where let's track also, this was our recommendation. This is what the outcome was of our recommendation and it was implemented on this date as that again provides very useful information in terms of what's going on and what risks you should be aware of within your organization. Jacob, in our last episode, we talked about the fair process doctrine and, and I really don't want to go through a full explanation of the fair process doctrine again, but I wanted to ask if the, your process is fair and if you truly do have that form of fairness in your institutional justice, how can the fact that someone has used the system, reporter reports a complaint in the system, they are engaged throughout the process, then an outcome, even if it's not the outcome they have expected, how can that enhance your employee morale and your overall corporate culture? I think it comes down to transparency and consistency. Transparency while maintaining, obviously, the confidentiality that needs to be maintained. But step one is you set an expectation in terms of your investigative process, typically also factoring things like how outcomes are derived. And then you've gone through that consistent process. You've communicated your findings to the complainant, and it's all fair and transparent. And I think consistency in terms of the application of the disciplinary actions is ultimately where we see a lot of our clients struggling when they first come to us is we don't necessarily know across our large enterprise, are we consistently applying the same disciplinary actions based on the nature of and found or substanti substantiated elements within the case itself. And that's where using data, you can derive it because one of the worst things is I'm a complainant and I know that for this similar activity, I've heard the outcome was X and then the outcome varies in my case. That's a, a factor that might cause them to escalate their concern to outside stakeholders. So you mentioned data there, and I wanted to pick up on that point because we've talked about data throughout this podcast series, but I want to use that thought that you have about data, move towards and how does having data about a report or number of reports, how can you use that to demonstrate you have a culture of compliance in an organization? 
so ultimately one of the core outcomes of a strong culture of ethics within organizations is that speak up culture where we started and by showing that it doesn't matter the nature of the issue the severity of the issue or potentially the target of that issue in terms of the subject of the investigation we have a process in place we can report it and we consistently follow it each and every time is something that can be supported with data so we see every department is issuing reports it doesn't matter if they see something against an entry-level position or a senior executive they're willing to voice their concerns and by being able to support it with data that would be a factor that the doj would look at so i've used the phrase document but frankly i may change to a different phrase now and that's auditable and defensible and certainly if the doj or other regulator comes knocking you're going to have to have that but it's also auditable for anyone who looks and whether that be we've talked about auditors we've talked about other business partners we've talked about other stakeholders and so having we've talked about auditable and defensible for each step in our journey up to the outcomes. Does that hold true in the outcomes, number one? And is it equally true really throughout this whole process that the process you've laid out is in totality auditable and defensible? I think that's the key of implementing a true system like EyeSight is that the end-to-end life cycle of a complaint initiation all the way to closure is audible and defensible and outcomes is one of those where ultimately you have to be able to defend how you came to that outcome and what you did with that outcome and that starts with everything from everyone that's viewed that case every change that's been made to that case in terms of the fields is all audited within the case record so i can clearly show This is how the case came in. This is everyone that's viewed the case, touched the case, or made a change to the case. And so I can ultimately maintain the integrity of the data within the case and be able to articulate the integrity of our process. And so audibility and defensibility for us is something that has multiple different facets and outcomes. When I come to one and I'm saying termination, I wanna be able to show how I came to that determination how I'm able, the evidence in terms of the files, the correspondence that support it. And it's all within an easy to use structured record. And it's having access controls that can finely tune who could see what and do what within the system. And that's part of a cultural change that sometimes we have to work with in terms of organizations where they come from a very siloed environment. So this is only a compliance system, only compliance has access to it and no one else can see it or touch it. it If we need to, we will share specific information where using access controls, you can determine who could see what and do what within the system. So if an auditor needs access to a specific case record, you can grant them access to that case record, read only. You can even exclude specific sections or information that might be privileged or confidential if need be. But you can finally tune that access role and say, you're now, you gain visibility to this case record, read only. Here you can go in and easily see all the information and that type of interaction by enabling them to have access to potentially the system itself increases internal trust amongst the various stakeholder groups. Let me pick up on that word internal trust, because that is perhaps the most critical aspect that having your employees trust you. If I could go back to the Kyle Welch report that I referenced earlier, 
he found it was just that. It was that internal trust. But I'd like to maybe flip it just a little bit in terms of consistency and why you think consistency is so important. And I will mm. tell the story that I've often told. I was with a company. We fired people in Brazil for cheating on their expense account. About 30 days later, the top salesman in the United States did the same thing. And I said, we have to fire him. If this is true, we have to fire him. It turned out it was true. He had lied on an expense account. And um, if we don't fire him, the compliance component of our company will have zero credibility because they'll just say, well, Americans can do whatever they want. So I wanted to maybe ask you about this consistency in outcomes and why not only you see that so critical for maintaining internal trust, but equally critical if we go back to Lisa Monaco and we're going to evaluate your culture and just maybe in this podcast with your thoughts on that keyword consistency. Yeah, it, for us, it ultimately comes down to the data that's derived from the case information where organizations come to us and oftentimes they struggle to determine, are we consistently applying corrective actions or remedial actions across our various cases and allegations and investigations? And that's where being able to interact in real time with that data, you can clearly see, are we consistently applying our corrective actions across our regions, our departments, our positions? Because I'll also echo that oftentimes employees feel that top performers get a pass. And ultimately, that's a detriment to the organization. Well, I'm not going to complain because they're a top performer within the organization. What's the point? And so if you can reinforce a consistent process, you can start taking that potential challenge away from the complainant submitting the complaint in the first place by saying, it doesn't matter who's violating the issue. We're going to consistently apply a process and an outcome. And then using data, the organization can validate if they're following through on that message. And that's something that within the ISET reporting tool, a key outcome for our clients are specific reports that we have around consistency of corrective actions. And we want to look at that data through multiple different parameters or lenses. It's across case types, regions, departments, positions, and see, are we consistently applying our remedial or corrective actions? Are there any outliers that stand out so they can actively try and remediate those? So Jacob, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our final episode. It's entitled reporting, but the more I reflect on that, it's going to be much broader. And we're going to tie a lot of concepts together around this process and how you could use them simply beyond an investigation. So with that, before we leave, if our listeners wanted any more information on today's topic of outcomes or really any of the other topics we've touched on in this podcast series, what would be the best place for them to go? Yeah, Tom, I encourage everyone to visit our website at eyesight.com. If you navigate down to the resource center, you will find a wealth of useful and free information that can enable you throughout your compliance journey. Jacob, I look forward to continuing this conversation. Same here, Tom. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our fifth and final episode where we take up the topic of how data drives prevention. As Jacob mentioned in the podcast, we have linked to the iSight website on the show notes, but it's www i-site.com 
www.thepowerofpowerpodcast.com. So check them out if you'd like any more information on any of the topics we've touched upon in this podcast. This podcast series has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.